we all know that uh, Daryl's boss is seated down there. Uh, <laughs> at least that's what Rhonda told me what to say anyway. Uh, Daryl, you're going to get me into trouble, or you into trouble, by the way uh, you introduced me. Um, I'm glad that you know him and know him well and uh, you know what parts of what he says what to take seriously and what other parts you just take with a grain of salt. And um, so uh, just the way you introduced me, um, the right reverend, um, I like the man actually but uh, I haven't been introduced that way or as the boss either. Um, in fact both of our bosses are seated down there today. Can I say what a delight it is to be here today um, representing Queensland Baptists and um, on behalf of your brothers and sisters around Queensland I'd like to say good day to you. Um, we have, as Queensland Baptists, we have um, around about 200 churches. Why well, I say round about is because we've got a, n a number of church plants and we ne we're never quite sure when to start counting those. And um, so if you want to be specific and say churches that are fully recognised and whatever, it's a bit under 200 if you say, well, let's count them all. Wherever there's groups together under the banner of Queensland Baptist today, it's a, it's a bit over 200. And um, if today's a typical Sunday, there's about 25, 27,000 men, women and children gathered together and uh, call themselves a part of the Queensland Baptist family. And so on behalf of all of those, g'day. And um, I'm sure that you'd be okay about me saying g'day on your behalf as I move amongst the churches as well. Isn't it good to know we are a part of a, of a larger family? In fact, our family, the Australian Baptist family, different ways of counting all the churches, but if we were to actually talk about, um, about actual church attendance, Baptists in Australia are the third largest Christian, well, the third largest religious um, group in Australia. That surprised you, didn't it? And if you look worldwide, um, as the sun goes around the world today, or the world goes around the sun, whichever one goes around the other, night and day anyway, around the world, there's um, around about 110 million Baptists um, in worship around the world, which makes us the largest Protestant denomination. It's interesting, isn't it? So there's a few surprises for you. Now, numbers is not everything, is it? Of course it's not, but um, it's, it's just sometimes good to, to know something a little bit about our family. So thank you, Daryl, and to the church here for the kind invitation and, uh, and your generous welcome this morning. It's our delight to be able to worship with you today. If you have your Bibles, you might like to turn with me to First Thessalonians and uh, chapter one, and I'd like to read the well the whole chapter to you uh, from First Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Archaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And we know that God always blesses the reading of his word. Do you agree with that? I'm sure you do. Well, around about three weeks ago, Anne and I were coming to the end of our holiday, a period of holiday, had been over in, um, in Europe for, for a week on sabbatical, uh, visiting one of the Baptist unions over there. Then following that, we had about three weeks or so holiday in, um, in the United Kingdom, chasing around where some of our forebears had come from. Um, am I doing something wrong that this is echoing? Okay, so I'm right to keep going. He's my boss at the moment. Um, and one of the towns we uh, visited just on, the, um, on our last day um, in England was this, this uh, little city, uh, 70 or so thousand people, uh, a couple of hours outside of London. And uh, we went there for a specific purpose at my request. And when we went to this town, there's a few things that we did there. But one of the things that we did is that we went to the statue of a, of a man. Um, it's a memorial statue. Here we have uh, statues of our sporting heroes outside of Suncorp Stadium, whatever. Uh, we discovered over in England that they have statues of other sorts of people, kings and queens and, and uh, other esteemed figures who, who have been, uh, who've excelled in various ways in history. And we, I stood at the base of this statue and uh, had my photo taken, got Anne to take a photo. Uh, and, and just people were just coming and going without really realising the significance of this statue that was there or the man of this image uh, that was made of. See, in 1874, when that statue was unveiled, actually 10,000 people gathered around this statue just to see the unveiling of it. It was of a man who'd lived about 200 years prior to that. He was actually a preacher, and we Baptists like to claim him as one of ours, and the Congregational Church tried to claim him as one of theirs. But, uh, but we know he's really a Baptist. He just liked to be known as a Christian, actually. But, but, but the man's name was John Bunyan. A man who uh, many of us know as the author of, uh, of Pilgrim's Progress, compulsory reading for every Christian. Billy Graham said that reads it every year. 
Um, so if he can read it every year, every Christian ought to read it at least once, but certainly on a regular occasion to be enlightened, not in the way that he wrote in the old English, but in one of the more modern uh, languages, uh, translations of it. Now, the interesting thing about this is this, is that John Bunyan had spent a couple of periods of time in jail. Not a very good thing to have on a CV as a Baptist minister. I certainly don't have that on my CV. I'd have you know. And um, I'm sure that, that Darrell, a fine, upstanding man like him, that he would certainly not have on his resume that he's a convicted person and has spent time in jail. In fact, John Bunyan had, on a couple of occasions, spent time in jail, the first time for about 12 years, then the second time for about six months or thereabouts. Now, I want you to stop and to think about that. Is that here is a man who is convicted before the courts, the first time illegally, uh, probably, but sent to jail, and yet some, a couple of hundred years later, is a celebrated person. In fact, you know, four or five hundred years later, is a celebrated person. And why was he in jail? Not because of so much as a crime that he committed, but for no other reason than he dared to preach the gospel in England uh, without a licence. And he dared to preach the gospel not under the banner of the Church of England, which was, well, trying to make a statement at that particular time, hauled before the authorities and, um, and, and said to him, we don't really want to imprison you. And if you promise not to preach the gospel again, then we will release you. And his response to that was this, you release me today and tomorrow I'll be back out preaching again. No alternative, lock you up 12 years. Now, we had just come from a country, the Ukraine, which had been through, uh, through Soviet persecution. And we talked with, uh, with ministers, several of them, who had gone through persecution, who had, been, had family members, and some of them themselves had been taken away by the authorities. Sometimes their family members were never seen again. And... Um, and, and for no other reason than, than this, that they loved Jesus and that they dared to, to, just to present the gospel in the community in which they lived. They dared to make a stand and say, I dare to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I'll ask you this question today. It's one of the questions I want to ask you, several more coming along the way. But what does your Christianity cost you today? What does it cost you? Is it like these men and women who in the Ukraine who we talked to a few weeks ago who said they knew that if they were to declare their faith in the Lord Jesus that that meant no family, no job, no accommodation, no career, no nothing. So it costs them to be a follower of Jesus. We have people in Queensland, many of our refugee folk who are amongst us in Queensland, have experienced similar things and are here today for no other reason than that they've been kicked out of their country or unable to live in their country for no other reason than this, 
that they dare follow Jesus. I'll ask you again, what does your Christianity cost you? To what extent is your claim to faith, your faith in the Lord Jesus, such that you say, I do not care what would happen to me today or tomorrow, but I'll stay true to Jesus. John Bunyan is not the first prisoner. The Baptist ministers that we spoke to in, the, in Ukraine were not the last Baptist ministers who were in prison because of Jesus, but Paul himself also was a man who knew what it was to be in prison for no other reason than he loved the Lord Jesus. In fact, he'd just been released from prison. Acts 16 records it in, in Philippi. He'd been released from prison in a miraculous way went down and you think after spending time in prison, after being beaten up and, and harassed and all sorts of things, that that's enough. But he goes along to the next town in Acts chapter 17, a town called Thessalonica, and he goes along to the, uh, to the synagogue and for three Sabbath days, he starts to once again start preaching the message of the Lord Jesus. Can't keep him quiet. Uh, he's just so in love with the Lord Jesus, so convinced about his faith in the Lord Jesus that he just can't help himself. So he goes into this town. Uh, a little bit about, Thess uh, about Thessalonica. It's 516 kilometres north of Athens. It's a fair income town. It's an important trade centre. Then populations estimated at about 65,000 people. And here is Paul coming into the synagogue. That was his strategy. Synagogue, scripture, saviour. In that order. Synagogue amongst the God-fearers. Opened the scripture to them and taught the word of God and brought them to the point of explaining about the saviour. And here's this criminal, this man who'd been in jail, kicked out of other towns. Now in Thessalonica, in trouble again. People go down the marketplace, get together this rabble of people, come back and say, let's whip up a storm against, uh, against Paul and Silas. And once again, they're booted out of town. But in that period of time there, under the hand of the Holy Spirit, in that period of time, a church is planted. And now, sometime after that, Paul and Silas say, remember those people who he left behind in Thessalonica. Uh, let's write him a letter. Let's write them a letter and, uh, and just a letter of encouragement, see how they're going and let them know that we're still thinking about them. So this morning we've read just the beginning of this, uh, well, it's not a long letter. You could go home and read it after lunch instead of watching whatever's on TV. Um, give up a bit of time of... Uh, of uh, your afternoon sleep or whatever, read it and just read it in that context. A young church, the church planter, is writing back to them, this man who was so passionate about the Lord Jesus. Let me make some initial observations about this letter. We often refer to this as uh, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. And yet we know that that's not the case. Yes, of course we believe that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But even on a human level, that, that when you read this, the very first few words that you read is this, 
Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church. Um, three authors, actually on a human level, writing to the church at Thessalonica. Um, there's probably about eight of Paul's letters, which, uh, which mention more than just Paul as the author of, a partic- of the particular letter. Um, and yet we have always said that this is Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. And one can just picture what's happening in heaven. There they go again, Silas says to Timothy or Timothy to Silas. They missed us out again. Paul gets all the credit and we've had a part in all of this. Um, Can you imagine that happening in heaven? Uh, Of course not. Ultimately, we say when we read the word of God and we are right in what we are saying when we say, ultimately, it doesn't really matter who gets the credit so long as all the glory goes to God. Now, it's okay if we can say that in heaven, but don't dare say that in church today. Because round about us are people who want to make sure that we get the credit that is due to us for the work and the effort that we've put in. Is that right? No. Might be of other churches, but certainly not true in the Sunnybank District Baptist Church. Because we are really like Silas and Timothy, who say, well, ultimately it doesn't really matter who gets the credit so long as God gets the glory. Now, having said that, I ought to say this. Is that if you see round about you people who've done a job and done it well, you make sure you say thanks to them and give them a bit of encouragement. Man, a word of encouragement will just keep us all going for another good six weeks till we receive the next word of encouragement. And, and nobody ever gets tired of being told it's been a job well done or receiving an email of encouragement or, or whatever. So it's Paul, Silas and Timothy, three authors, is the first observation that I want to make. The second observation I want to make is, is this is that here's the church at at Thessalonica that they had an external prayer support team. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. And I ask you as a church this morning, who, who are your prayer warriors for you? Who's on your prayer team praying for you? Either as individually, but but also as a church as well. Um, Joel, is it, Um, said, um, please pray for me in the next 12 months. And in our hearts we said, yep, we'll pray for Joel and uh, we'll remember to do so until at least lunchtime, some of us will remember that. But there will be some folk here, and I, I want to challenge you, that you might be somebody who prays for Joel on a regular basis for this next 12 months. Just as you as a church need people, not who are just wishing upwards to God, but who are genuinely interested and praying for you in your ministry. We have a prayer team. There will be people all around Queensland who know that I'm ministering here this morning, who are praying this morning. One man on that prayer team is one of my pastors. In my former life, before I became a Baptist minister, I was, uh, I was in, the, in the army and I was in the army down in Melbourne, got away from the Lord through uh, tragic circumstances, came back to Jesus. 
started attending a church and in my late teens uh, was attending this church in Victoria. Um, the pastor of that church at that particular time was a man who took a particular interest in my development and, and, and in mentoring and discipling me. And here I am, I'm talking about when I was about 18 or 19 years of age. Here I am, 59 years of age, and here is this man who is still on my prayer support team. And after I send out a prayer letter, invariably emails me. Says, David, I want you to know that I'm still praying for you every week. Now, can you imagine that? That a pastor would take on his heart for a period of 40 years to pray for this just, well, this this young soldier guy who's just rocking through the church for a couple of years. Yet 40 years later, has devoted himself to saying, I'll pray for this man on a regular basis. Now I wonder who you have who will be praying for you like that. But I also want to ask you that question, who are you praying for on that basis? Who is it that you are prepared to pray for, where you're prepared to commit yourself that you might intercede on their behalf to Jesus to pray for them on a regular basis? Third observation I'd make about this church is this, is that there are these building blocks of faith, hope and love. Verse 3, remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are the three building blocks of the church. Seven times in the New Testament, not always in the same verse, sometimes in a few verses either side, but seven times in the New Testament, there are these building blocks which are linked together. Faith, hope and love. Faith is the action, it's the response in obedience to God. Love is the attitude that I have to others that I'll always seek the best. Hope that I always believe that tomorrow's going to be better than today and that one day Jesus is coming again. We always remember your work, your labour and your endurance. Work is a big picture thing. We're a church, we proclaim the message of Jesus. That's the work produced by faith in obedience. Your labour prompted by love is the detail stuff. This is what we do day by day with one another and in the community. We do that, why? Because of the love of God in us. And why don't we give up? We keep going uh, beyond today and beyond next week, next year, whatever. What is it that keeps us going? Hope. And our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That one, that he is really our boss and that one day that he's, he's coming back again and that we'll spend for, forever, all eternity with him. And, and really it, it doesn't matter a hoot what we go through in the here and now because it's worth it all when we see Jesus and spend eternity with him. Fourth observation that I make is this is that the message came to them not only with words but also with power and conviction. Um, I don't know of anybody who really came to faith just because they lost an argument. Um, that's the words. However, the words are important because the Christianity is a, is a logical and is a, a reasonable belief in God. 
But it's more than that. It's with power. And that's what the Bible tells us, that we present the gospel to those round about us. But it's the Holy Spirit who acts, brings the person under conviction and draws them to the Lord Jesus. So the message came with words, power and conviction. And then there was this modelling and domino effect as well. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Archaea. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Now a vibrant faith in Jesus is contagious. Um, it's something that, that, that spreads, that, that is caught by people. And what is really being said here would be like this. Well, we have observed your faith in the Lord Jesus here in the church here in Sunnybank. And, and what we have observed is that the impact has gone beyond the four walls of the church and in the whole of the suburb is aware of the Lord Jesus because of your faith in him. And, and not just the whole of the suburb, but all south of the river here in, in Brisbane. Everybody is aware of the Lord Jesus because of your faith and your vibrancy in, in your relationship with Jesus. In fact, it's all of Brisbane and Queensland and in fact we hear it's even going to the University of Western Sydney next year. And who else? Where else? Thailand. Around the world. That's what it is to believe in the Lord Jesus. The church at Thessalonica, this vibrant church, this church that was in this intimate relationship with Jesus, just had this domino effect. Never underestimate the impact of what your faith is having around the world. Then it says there's suffering and joy. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit already talked about the persecution that came to Paul and that was also evident in the church at Thessalonica. They knew that Stephen, their brother, had been stoned because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. Peter, when he was speaking to the Lord Jesus, he said, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus said to his disciples, don't be surprised when you get persecuted. Um, I get persecuted. If they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you too. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father and says, the world has hated these people. Be real to them. We read here in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 3 and 4, it says this, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. So where are you in your relationship with Jesus today? Is it costing you something? Uh, is it a comfortable religion? Is it a comfortable relationship? Not that there's necessary, necessarily anything wrong with that, but, but just in case, maybe today you better go home and get on your knees beside your bed 
before the presence of the Lord Jesus say, Jesus, my faith is just so comfortable. Am I really in the right place for you? Then there's this strategic verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. Therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. And here's the key. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Um, That's just a tremendous gospel verse, that. It's, it's my hope that everybody here this morning has, has had this applied in their own lives. You've had this applied in your life, that you've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And not only are you recipients of this grace, but you also proclaimers of it as well in, in making uh, the world know, putting them in a place where they can make an informed decision about the Lord Jesus. And here are some key things that come out of this strategic verse. Firstly, that God is living and true. Um, They talk, say how you turn to God, uh, from idols to serve the living and true God. Um, It just worries me that in our society today, the Christianity is just being put up as one option amongst many others. And that, uh, and that everybody can have a choice whether you accept Christianity or not or whether you accept Christianity or any of the other host of religions round about. And, and one of the things which is really being put forward in our society today is tolerance, that we need to tolerate people and uh, all these other faiths. Certainly there has to be a freedom of religion, but um, understand what I'm saying very clearly here. There has to be an arrogance about the claims of Jesus as well. That if Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the only way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me, I am the only way. These exclusive claims by Jesus really puts us at odds with many other people, even in Australia. You stand up and proclaim that and see whether any persecution or suffering comes your way. But this is the God whom we worship. This is the God whom we have gathered together in his name to worship him, that he is the living and true God. Also, in this verse, there is this aspect of choice which is given as well. You have a choice of whether you accept God or idols. We might immediately say, come to our place and never see any idols on our mantelpiece. But idols is more than just having a little wooden or whatever figure on on our mantelpiece. We all have idols in our lives. That is, what is it that we are devoted to? What are we working for? It's also understood by what our dependence on things. What is in our lives that we cannot live without? Or what we delight in. What is it that gives us pleasure? Or what's our decision-making process? What are the guiding principles in our life? Or our destiny? What is it that we are looking forward to? These are some of the clues that help us to identify the idols in our lives. What is it that we can always make time for? 
that we always talk about, that we always have energy for, that we can always find a bit of money to spend on to enhance that in our lives. These are the idols in our lives. And the thing is this, is that as Paul is saying here to the church at Thessalonica, you've had that choice of either the idols or God. And he said, you have turned this way or that. And that's what repentance is all about. You've turned away from idols to God. You know something? That when you make a turn, it's impossible to go both ways. Um, We drove down from our home in Morrowfield this morning, had a number of choices along the way of which way we were going to turn. Intersections, forks in the road. And we knew that it was impossible to go this way and that way it was one or the other. And we also knew that if we wanted to end up here this morning, that there were specific turns that we must make along the way. We could not do a turn off this way and still expect to get over here. You understand what I'm saying here about our relationship with Jesus? It's God or nothing. It's God or self. It cannot be God plus something. We turn to God from idols. To serve God. That is, we do things his way and not mine. Costly at times. We need to be aware of that. To serve him, that is, it's no no longer about me, but it's what God wants in my life. And then there's the waiting. Waiting for the coming and rescuing of the Lord Jesus. This is what Christianity is all about. It's all about turning to God and following Jesus. It's more than what Christianity is about. It's really what life's about. That God, the creator God, has made us. Made us in his image tarnished, but has sent the Lord Jesus into the world that, to die for us. That by grace that we might, might respond to him, that we might enter into an intimate relationship with him, that this almighty God that we call him our father as well, and, and this news is just too good to keep to ourselves that we start sharing it with those round about us. My question to you today is this. Where do you fit in the picture, in that picture, in all of that? Maybe this morning you have never come to that point of accepting the Lord Jesus as your saviour. There's no better day than today than to do that. You can talk to Daryl or one of the other leaders here this morning, a Christian whom you know, whom you can trust, you can confide in. They'd be delighted to share with you what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. But maybe today too, you've been in that place where, well, I'm okay about mucking around with Jesus doesn't cost me anything and there's no way I'm going to go to jail for Jesus. Uh, uh, I'm happy to have one foot in both camps. No, it's, it's time, fake. It's time to take God seriously, to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Maybe today's the day when you say, Lord, who is in my sphere of influence who I can share this fantastic news with, irrespective of any personal cost to me? 
Let's bow in a word of prayer. What a great service it's been today. We've sung some fantastic words today in worship. Heard Joel's testimony. I'm sure we're all touched by that. This young man who is willing to give up everything to follow Jesus and to help others to be followers of Jesus. What an example he is to you and to me today. Read the word and we've heard some thoughts about it as well. It's just for a quiet moment. I'm not going to ask you to do anything publicly, say anything out loud. God can read your thoughts. Just If he's tapped you on the shoulder in any part of the service today, but just in your, in your thoughts, because God can read those. You respond to God in the here and now. If God has spoken to you today, I would encourage you to share that with someone else who you can trust and share with and pray together with today as well. Thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy, for your patience with us. Grant to us the courage to walk in obedience with you for your sake, for our sake and for the world's sake. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Dave.